and to share with you today. I don't often, uh, last time we were here, we didn't get the chance. We've actually been in your your house twice now, and so uh, this is our second run through to, to enjoy your hospitality. We're very grateful for being able to be here and be among you. Uh, we, uh, before I get begin- started this morning, for those of you who don't know, uh, my name is Matt, and we, we live in Central Asia, and um, many of you may not know where that is. If you think of a, a map of the world in your mind, there's probably a blank space between China and Europe. Uh, that's Central Asia. That's all the countries that end in Stan, Iran, Turkey, all those places. I'm sure you had vacation plans before the pandemic hit uh, to head to that part of the world. But uh, that's where we call home. Uh, and I bring that up for, for one simple reason at the beginning of the sermon uh, to let you know we, part, that part of the world doesn't really welcome missionaries. Uh, we're not open with that title where we are. And so what that means is that we uh, are there under a different platform. We're there under a different official job. Um, it's unlikely that the government of the country where I live sent someone to check on us here this morning, but they do know how to use Google. And so I would ask that you would keep my name and my family's name and the word missionary apart uh, on any social media or internet stuff. And that would, that would just help us be able to maintain our presence in the part of the world uh, where we live. But as I come here this morning, we've, we've served now for about 10 years in the part of the world where we live. And the longer that we're kind of over there, the more I find I have a little less grasp of the culture over here. So it makes it a little difficult when I come back to the States to think, okay, what do, what do I share? What do I talk about that's kind of relevant uh, when I'm not, I'm not as familiar with this world because my roots are so, uh, become so planted in that one? And so this morning, I really want to just do something fairly simple is answer two questions uh, about missions. And I do that not because I don't think that many of you already know the answers uh, to these questions, but because the answers to these questions uh, can serve as a reminder uh, and also serve as an encouragement to those of you who already know the answers. Um, The first question then, uh, and I want to just briefly kind of address this, is uh, the question of, of what is it? What is missions? Because we use that word a lot. uh, But we use that word in a bunch of different ways in the church. Some churches will say everything outside the walls of the church is missions. And the things we do in here is ministry. The things we do out there is is all missions. Well, that's fair. Uh, You're allowed to use the word in that sense. But I want to kind of narrow down when we're talking about missions, when I'm talking about missions, what do we mean by that? To something a little bit more... Uh, focused. Because uh, the word in English, uh, we use it outside the church, right? We use it, the military can be sent on a mission, there are diplomatic missions. It's simply a very important assignment or a task, usually involving travel. Well, we as a church have that. We have an important assignment or task. Matthew chapter 28, uh, verses 18 to 20. And Jesus came near and said to them, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe everything I have commanded you. And remember, I am with you always to the end of the age. So that, in short, is our assignment. That is our task. Now, to get a little scholarly, uh, briefly with you, uh, that verse, the center of that, known as the Great Commission, only actually has one command verb. It has one verb that's a command in it. Um, 
And the way that the, the Greek structures that, the New Testament being written in Greek, the original language that it was written down in, uh, the way that that is structured, it means that there's one main task and there's three verbs attached to it that say how you accomplish that. So the center of what we do, the center of our task is then to make disciples. That's the verb. That's the command that we go and make disciples. How do we do that? Well, the three other verbs tell us we go into all the world, baptizing and teaching them to obey. Now, where we baptize, where we teach people to obey is primarily in the venue of the local church. And so what we do uh, to accomplish this task, go into all the world, make disciples by planting the church, seeing them baptized and taught to obey. That is the heart of the task. Now, we do many other things. And we should, as the church, do many other things. Helping the poor and, and in so many other tasks that are outside of that. But those are still good. Those are still things we must do. But those are not that task. Those are not mission. And so when we're talking about missions, we're talking about one simple thing like that. And that is something that the entire church should be involved in. But not every person in the church then is in, empowered to do that task. Uh, The the Bible has a word, the word apostle, that they use to describe those who are sent out. Once again, that's a word that was used outside of the church. The church uses that word, uh, but but other Greeks use the word apostle. It was the the idea of an ambassador or an emissary, someone who was sent. So as Patrick has, has talked about, the nature of the church is a gathering, the ecclesia, the people brought in together. Apostles, the exact opposite. You bring in together and then you send some out. And that's not every member of the church. That's very specific, empowered members of the church sent out to other places among other people to plant the gospel. Our story is that, that we were, uh, my wife and I both, as uh, even in high school and college, called into missions and and God sending us out uh, to different places separately and then together as we came together. uh, Right after we were married, we went overseas into Central Asia a little country called Tajikistan. It's just north of Afghanistan. It's just to the west of China. If you Google it today, most of the uh, news articles will have uh, refugees from nearby countries fleeing into it. Uh, So that's kind of new for us. We're actually in the news. Um, We've lived there now for about 10 years. Uh, We uh, serve, I'm the team leader, over a team of uh, nine adults to 11 kids now, uh, soon to be 12, uh, where we work to uh, take the gospel to a, kind of an umbrella of about eight to ten or six to eight different people groups, different ethnic groups that have very little witness among them. Matter of fact, in that whole half of the country, it's an area about the size of West Virginia, the population comparable to say Little Rock, spread over that area. There's there's less than uh, two dozen Christians that we know of. So all of the Christians in that entire area wouldn't fill up two rows of your church this morning. Uh, So it's a very unreached and unchurched part of the world. It's also very remote. We're a good 12-hour drive from uh, the capital city, which is also the nearest other team, other group of foreigners uh, that are around. Uh, We deal with a lot of political instability. We're right on the border of of another country that you've heard an awful lot about. We have limited medical care, limited uh, things that that make life easy. And I I don't share all of that. Uh, to kind of put us up on a pedestal, but I share all of that because when I talk to people about where we live and what we do, it inevitably raises the second question. Why? Uh, why would you go 
do that? Now, that's a fair question. And I think it's actually a really important question for us to camp out on and to answer a little bit this morning. So why, you know, what we know what missions is, but then why do we do it? Well, there's a few reasons. And I want to start uh, with kind of outlining the nature of the task that we have. We do it because of the nature of it. The reality this morning, there are around 6,000, some odd, 6,300 people groups, ethnic groups identified throughout the world. Of those 6,000 some odd people groups, uh, 2,000 of them are considered unreached. So the technicality of that, uh, a people group or an ethnic group, a group that identifies itself either by language or culture or separate from others. Uh, of those, those, So there are 2,000 of them that have less than 2% of them Christian. What it basically means is that unless outsiders are sharing the gospel with them, there's no way for them to come to faith within their people group. One and a half to two billion people this morning, unless there are outsiders sharing with them, cannot become Christian. It's not that they don't want to. It's that even if they're interested, there's really no way for them to hear. That's a sobering reality that we have to face this morning. That the accident of your birth can determine whether or not you even get the chance to hear about who Jesus is. These are in places that are often opposed even to the gospel going in, but that doesn't lessen our responsibility of those who have the gospel to see that the gospel is taken to them. And we have a responsibility, folks. We represent this morning probably the wealthiest church ever in the history of the world. We have more resources at our command than anyone ever has. And at the same time, reaching the ends of the earth is easier than it's ever been. We are the most remote team right now in Central Asia. We like to say that if uh, we're not quite at the ends of the earth, but you can see it from there. You can get from here to my house in about a solid five days of travel. A journey that um, even a generation ago would have taken you literally weeks if it was even possible. That is almost anywhere in the world that now has become accessible to us with our resources to impact it. And so that represents an opportunity, not an opportunity just of the fact that we can access, but that God is moving among these people. One of my favorite statistics, I I kind of uh, hear different things that are reported and, and things about missions, the Muslim world where we live, uh, has reported, uh, just in general, around all of the Muslim world, since uh, in this millennia, more Muslims have come to faith than in every previous year combined. Think about that. Islam was established a little after 600 AD. It's been around almost 1,400 years. In nearly 1,400 years of, of existence of that religion, fewer Muslims came to faith than since 9-11. God is moving in an incredible way among the Muslim peoples of the world, among all peoples of the world. We're seeing uh, people come to faith in the midst of natural disaster, in the midst of political disaster, in ways that we've never seen before. And God is inviting us to join in with what he's doing in the world. For the Bible makes it clear that where we invest, so our heart will also follow it. 
It's not just that we invest where we care, but where we want to care, if we begin to invest, our heart follows that. Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And God invites us to care about his kingdom, invest in his kingdom, and watch our heart follow it. We also have our own history to look back at. Folks, America wasn't settled by the best in general, the best and brightest that the old world had to offer. Texas wasn't settled in general by the best that America had to offer. You didn't write gone to Texas on your door back in the 1800s because you were wealthy and successful where you were. You, you left where you were because you were trying to get away from something. And even further back than that, there are not many of us, I, I wager, who could count uh, Jewish people among our ancestors. And so when the Old Testament was written down, we were not God worshipers, folks. We were painting ourselves blue and dancing around bonfires. That was our history. Someone took the gospel to us, often at great risk to themselves. And we owe then to others to take the gospel to them. But beyond the situation and beyond our history, we have God's scriptural heartbeat to the nations. I want to, I could spend hours on this, but I, I, I want to quickly just kind of go through the Old and the New Testament. Missions doesn't just show up in a couple of places, but it's everywhere. If you look at the very beginning in Genesis chapter 12, where God first speaks to Abram, before he's even called Abraham, he reaches down to correct what, begin to correct what had gone wrong in the Garden of Eden. He speaks to one man, and the first thing that he says to him is, I'm going to make you a blessing. Why? And all the peoples on earth will be blessed through you. Not your people, not the people that will come from you, but every other people group is going to be blessed. He repeats this to his son, to his grandson. He repeats this to the people of God when he brings them out of Egypt. And, and why did he do it that way he did? Why did God accomplish the exodus in this massive way with all of these miracles and all of these huge displays? He tells us in Exodus 7, 5, So the Egyptians will know that I am the Lord, not the Jews. He says again to the Pharaoh, chapter 9, verse 16 of Exodus, I have let you live for this purpose, to show you my power and to make my name known in all the earth. He didn't do that for the Jewish people. He did that for the Egyptians and for all the other peoples to know that he was God. He told the people of Israel, you are to do, you are to be a light to the other nations to draw them to myself. That's repeated throughout uh, commands throughout the prophets, throughout the Psalms, over and over in the Psalms, it talks about other nations worshiping Yahweh, worshiping the Lord. Psalm 2.8, I will make the nations your inheritance. Psalm 9.19, let the nations be judged in your presence. Psalm 22.27, all the families of nations will bow down before you. Psalm 46.10, I will be exalted among the nations. Psalm 65.5, the hope of all the ends of the earth. Psalm 66.4 and 8, calls to praise Yahweh to the nations. I'm not halfway done. Psalm 96 is just a psalm of praise to the nations. Praise to Yahweh from the nations. It's throughout the prophets. The book of Jonah. God didn't call Jonah just to Israel. We know about Jonah because he called him to Assyria to preach to Nineveh. The book of Obadiah, written entirely not to Israel, but to the Edomites. The book of Nahum was written to Assyria to call them to repent and to worship God. Isaiah, perhaps the pinnacle of Old Testament prophecy, the most beautiful book written in the Hebrew language to some people. 
begins and ends with a picture of the nations coming to worship Yahweh in the temple. Chapter 2 and chapter 66 both have its bookends, this wonderful book of prophecy. It's throughout the Old Testament, it's throughout the New Testament. It's not just a couple of places, the book of Matthew, the most Jewish of the Gospels, that show that Jesus is the King of the Jews, who are the first people to acknowledge Jesus as King. It is not the shepherds, that is the book of Luke. The first people in the book of Matthew that acknowledge Jesus as king are pagan star worshipers that come from Iran and come and bow before a newborn king of the Jews. And that book ends with the passage that we read, that Jesus tells his disciples to go into all the world and make disciples. It's repeated in every gospel. Every gospel has that command. Every gospel has a picture of Gentiles coming and worshiping Jesus. And then the rest of the New Testament is essentially the outworking of that command. The book of Acts is the story of the gospel starting in Jerusalem and moving towards the ends of the earth. The epistles, all but two of the epistles, all but two of the letters written that make up the bulk of the New Testament, possible exception is Hebrews and the book of James, are written by missionaries to churches they either were encouraging or had visited. That is the entire New Testament is missionary letters. The book of Romans is a missionary support letter. Perhaps the most beautiful exposition of the gospel that we have, you could spend a lifetime studying the book of Romans. Why did Paul write it? He says in Romans chapter 15, I'd really like to go on to Spain and I hope to come to Rome and to get your help along the way. He was raising funds. And then of course the book of Revelation ends with that vision in Revelation chapter 7 of a vast multitude from every nation, tribe, people, and language beyond number bowing before the throne and worshiping. It is not just a couple of places in the Bible that talks about the nations coming to faith. It is the entire Bible is soaked in the idea that the nations will come one day to worship our God. So we have God's clear command throughout the Bible. A greater preacher than me has put it this way, the Great Commission is not known as the Great Suggestion. It is not an option for us. We can go, we can send, or we can disobey, and that's it. But beyond all of that, on top of all of that, God promises something more. He promises us A blessing. See, God doesn't just say, I'm this great, powerful, vengeful God and you must do what I say or else. But he says, if you do what I say, if you obey me, I will bless you beyond anything you could imagine. Matthew chapter 19, verses 29 and 30, the the apostles come to Jesus and they say, well, what about us? We've given up everything to follow you. What happens to us, And Jesus says, I promise you, no one has given up anything, whether it houses or lands or families or anything, that you won't gain a hundred times more in this life and in the life to come. See, that's the challenge that God lays before us. If we sacrifice for his kingdom, if we sacrifice to see his task accomplished, can he not care for us? 
Can he not give us back more than anything we could give? A few years ago, uh, we'd come close to Christmas time. And I was going out to a village to visit a friend of mine. A friend of mine, I call him in my updates. If you get our updates, uh, his name's Frank. Uh, his real name's Fozilo. And Fozil uh, was a young man who had worked in my yard. He had, he had kind of helped keep our fruit trees and things alive as I was working. I'm, I don't have a green thumb. I can't keep any plants alive. So we had to hire someone to help us out with that. He was a college student. I'd shared the gospel with him. He was interested uh, he, he liked hearing stories of Jesus. And so when he graduated and went home, I gave him a Bible and a little Jesus film and said, you know, I'll be praying for you. Hopefully I'll see you again someday. He had shown up a little bit afterwards and very encouragingly, it was incredible as he came in and sat in my house and I began to share the gospel with him. I realized, no, he had come to faith. This is a young man who he read the Bible. And as I, I talked about who Jesus was and what that meant, he said, yes, I believe that. I agree with that. We were so excited. See, he's from a little people group, uh, only about 3,000 people called the Yazgalomi. Uh, you can Google them, they barely show up. They're, they're a very small group in this one little valley. Uh, but they have something of a reputation. They live on the border between where Sunni Islam and Shia Islam meet, uh, which is equivalent of, of kind of living in Belfast between the Protestants and the Catholics in Ireland. It's, it's not a safe place to be. So if you ask them which one they are, they're not really sure. But whatever one they is, they're really, really that. They have a reputation for uh, fundamentalism, if you will. They sent more people to fight in ISIS to fight with ISIS in Syria than any other people group in Tajikistan. So we didn't spend a lot of time in that valley. We hadn't been there a lot to share with these people. I was so excited that we were able to see someone from that people group come to faith. Ozil invited me to come back and to speak with his family. So this was my trip. It was near Christmas time. I was going to see him, pulled into his little village where I'd never been before, eventually found him, went to his house. We sat down. They had laid out food on the tablecloth on the floor, which is how they eat. And then a lot of other people began to come in. Uh, they weren't related to him, which was a little unusual. Um, so I thought, well, you know, I've not really knowing what's going on around me has become fairly normal in my life. So just jump in and share the Christmas story with them. Now, the Christmas story to a Muslim is actually a pretty offensive story. It involves all of the things they don't really like about Christianity, a virgin birth and people worshiping Jesus as God. And, and there's a lot of very difficult points in the Christmas story. So I figured if I led with that, then um, anything else I say is probably fair game. I'm, I'm safe. So I, as I shared the story with this group of men, probably about eight men who were sitting around with me, and I came to the end and began to talk about, well, this is who Jesus is, that he's the son of God and he came and died for our sins and came back from the dead so that we can worship him and we can come into the presence of God. The one who had done the most kind of speaking there was like, yeah, 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 yeah. we already believe all that. Now what do we do? I said, What? So I asked them what that meant, and it turns out that a few years ago, someone had shown up in their village. He had done a hydroelectric project there, but he was a Christian. And he shared the gospel with a few people there. He talked about who Jesus was, and then he left. He was there about two weeks. And after he left, 
Several of them said, you know, I think that guy was right. Now what? They had a Bible for a little while, but nothing else. One of them was a nine-year-old boy who grew up, went to college, and ended up taking care of fruit trees in my yard. So when I shared the gospel with Fozil, and I thought for the first time I was able to take the gospel into this place and to share with these people, he went home and he said, I finally found one. I found a Christian. Maybe this guy can tell us what to do. So I sat in this house, in this little valley, for the first time in over a decade, shared with a group of men, well, this is what church is. This is what the Bible is. This is how you read it. This is what baptism in the Lord's Supper means. This is how you worship God and how you pray. In a place with a reputation, most Christians are afraid to even enter. This group of men, several of them today, they still worship God. They're still following Jesus. In the midst of incredible persecution, they remain faithful. Now, folks, I didn't have a lot to do with that. I did not plan that. I did not prep this whole thing. It's almost as if God looked down and he said, hey, I'm going to do something really cool and I want someone to see it, so watch. I remember driving home and I called my wife and we have to be careful talking on the phone because we know other people are listening. I said, I can't tell you what just happened, but you're not going to believe it. There's nothing, no price that we have paid as a family that compares to being able to see what God can do and is doing among the nations. So I ask you this morning, what, what is God calling you to do then in response? Because as I said before, this is not, you know, going into missions is not a task for every single person. I'm not going to get up this morning and say, well, you know, this is something we're all supposed to do. So I'm the only obedient one in the room and the rest of you staying here in the States, therefore, must be sinning by not going. I don't believe that. You don't believe that. God has called each of us to serve in different ways and different capacities. and, And I don't believe very many, therefore, are called to the nations, but, but we're all called somehow to be involved in what God is doing. So how do you respond? Well, I want to outline four things very quickly for a response. The first of them, and I firmly believe the most important of them, is that you can pray. Now I know what some of you are thinking. Well, he's the missionary, so he's got to lead with pray and he'll get to giving money later, but he's going to lead with the prayer thing just to seem holy. I assure you folks, that is not the case. The IMB, we are, uh, represent your, you as missionaries and the IMB uh, through the cooperative program and through Lottie Moon is the most well-supported mission agency in the world, financially Uh, No one else even comes close. There's not a debate within missions about that. And we are so grateful for 
all that you do to support us. But if one day that financial giving was to dry up, we will find some way to continue. But folks, if you stop praying, we're done. We can't do it. I have story after story after story I could tell you of why I am able to stand here, why my family is able to be here alive. Because you were faithfully praying for us. Without that, we wouldn't be here. Without your prayers, stories like Fozil's wouldn't happen. God has chosen to move through the prayers of his people. And folks, if you do nothing else, if you hear nothing else this morning, please pray. It can be for us. If you'd like to be on our update list, there's, there's cards out in the back. Have our picture on them. There's an email address. If you email us, we'll send you an update every month. How we're doing, what we're doing, how you can pray for us. But even if not that, find a missionary. Find a people group. You may not even know how to pronounce their name that say, God, please save these people. Draw them to yourself. Plant your church among them. Pray. Pray faithfully. Pray sacrificially to see people come to faith. Secondly, you can give. Uh, I know it's not Christmas time. It's not Lottie Moon time of year. Uh, You may be surprised to hear this. The IMB will take uh, donations at any time of year uh, if you decide to do that. But, but as, as those times come, as uh, we get into Christmas time and, and you talk about giving toward missions, just know that we are so grateful for the support that you get. So grateful that we get to partner with you and continue to give. Uh, generously give sacrificially to see the gospel taken. Third, you can send. I know this is a little bit of a different kind of take on things. Uh, But I think it's so important for us to think in those terms that praying and giving is something that Southern Baptists have always done. Sending, we're not as good at that as we used to be. They did a, a survey not too long ago that asked among young people, what was the number one Uh, What were the things that were keeping them from being able to go to missions? We weren't seeing as many young people dedicating their lives to missions. And you know what we found? Uh, Interestingly, the number one barrier that people said, well, I would go, but, uh, was people's Christian parents who asked the question, was it safe? Well, we have all sorts of politically correct ways we can answer that question. But I'll be honest with you, no, it's, it's not safe. It's good, but it's not safe. And too many Christian parents said, well, not my kids. My kids aren't going to go. Someone, someone else can, but my grandkids are going to be raised in my county. Folks, instead of standing in the way of what God may do among our families and in our churches, what if we prayed the other direction? What if we looked around and said, who here can we raise up? Who here can we send out to be a part of what God's going to do in the nations? And then for some of you, maybe I'm speaking this morning and you're, 
you're wondering this, this is hitting you particularly for some of you, maybe the answer is to go. It's not a call for everyone to go for your life. Now, there are short-term ways that you can go to see the nations. There are trips and, and your church takes those, other churches take those. It's a wonderful way to be involved. And maybe you're hearing this morning and going, well, you don't know me. I, I, I couldn't. I'm not equipped for that. I'm not good enough. I'm not sufficient to do that task. I'll tell you a secret. We're probably not supposed to let this out. But I'm going to say it anyway. Neither are we. Can't count the number of mornings... I've woken up or the number of times I've looked at the villages I've driven through the Palmyr Mountains of Tajikistan and looked at all of the lostness and all of the people there. I said, God, what were you thinking? I can't do this. This is so much bigger than me. You know what he always says? You're right. You can't. It is. Because we serve a God who uses the weak things of the world to shame the strong. We serve a God who will not ever share his glory with another. And folks, if the history of the Palmyri people is written and one day thousands of them have come to faith, there will be no one confused as to whether or not I was the reason for that. No one will think that. It will be entirely a movement of God. So this morning, I want you to ask yourself, what is he calling you to? Is he calling you to all of this? Is he calling you to some of this? Is he calling you to change how you pray, to change how you give? Is he calling you as a church to begin to send? What is he calling you to? And what are you willing to give his kingdom. Let me pray and then uh, we will be dismissed this morning. God, I do thank you for your call. I thank you for what you are doing here in this world. I thank you for allowing us to be a part of it. And I pray for this church, God, that you would move in a mighty way among each of these uh, to draw them closer to you to make them more a part of what you're doing in your kingdom. I thank you for all that they've done all they continue to do to support missions and to see your gospel planted your church planted around the world and Lord for any who may not may not understand this because they simply have not given their lives to you have not sacrificed repented of their sin and turned to you. I pray, Lord, that you would speak to their hearts. You would draw them to yourself today. Let them not leave without committing their lives to you um, wherever you may send them. Lord, we pray these things in your Son's name. Amen.